On today's edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast, what could be the next tough roster decisions for Howie Roseman to make for the Philadelphia Eagles? Plus, Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks joins me to go behind enemy lines, looking into one of the other contenders pushing the birds in 2023 for the NFC crown. All that and more on this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Eagles podcast. You are Locked On Eagles, your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We thank you so much for making Lockdown Eagles your first listen each and every day. Welcome in Eagles fans to a Tuesday edition of the show. Shout out to our everydayers for making us your first listen Monday through Friday right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Excited about today's show. Corbin Smith, my good friend from Lockdown Seahawks. He's going to talk to me today about a team that could push the Eagles for the NFC crown and no, a team that isn't the San Francisco 49ers. We will talk to Brian Peacock later this week of Lockdown 49ers to talk about the main contender pushing the Eagles in what I think is definitely by far the weaker conference in the NFC this year versus the AFC. I think we all know if the Eagles aren't going to win a Super Bowl this year, who are the biggest reasons, the biggest threats for stopping them are the teams in the AFC. And so that's why I wanted to do this in the NFC is talk to some other analysts for teams in this conference, because this conference is outside of San Francisco. It's like, who's going to be that third team that steps up? Who could be that third team that emerges and becomes a championship contender? Will that even happen? Do any of these teams even have what it takes? Like the hipster answer right now, the trendy answer is the Detroit Lions, but I don't know. I don't know if they're there yet. They're exciting, but have they improved enough to go from like nine and eight last year to what the Eagles were in 2022? Maybe I just with Jared Goff and, you know, the team's talented, but I don't know. I think a team like the Seattle Seahawks might be more of a threat to push the Eagles and the 49ers this year than Detroit. I think Detroit's kind of getting the respect that maybe the Seahawks deserve, but And the Dallas Cowboys are obviously a very popular answer from a national perspective, but they haven't been to the conference championship since what I was born. I don't since before that VHS was around. So I wanted to talk more about the Seahawks today. So I'm going to have Corbin Smith on in just a bit. But first, I wanted to get into, I was thinking about this the other day, because Gino and I were talking about some of the more underrated players on the Eagles, and we mentioned Hassan Riddick and you know where he was ranked on that CBS Top 100 list, and him not winning Defensive Player of the Year in 2022, which I think was ridiculous. I think he was definitely the most valuable defensive player in the NFL. We talked about Josh Sweat, too, not being on that list at all, and definitely getting overlooked. And so I started to think about those two guys, and how individually they still don't get their flowers, right? But at the same time, the production is there. The Eagles do not undervalue them. They know how valuable they are. I will say, though, the money is undervalued. And I think if they are as good as they were in 2022 and 2023, the Eagles are going to have to pay up. And I think the Eagles do value them a lot and they're going to want to pay them. But it's going to be really tough. Like if Josh Sweat has the elite year he had again last year and Hassan Riddick. I mean, he had 19 and a half sacks. If you include the playoffs, if those guys do that again, both of them are going to cash in. Look at some of the contracts that young elite edge rushers are getting outside of quarterback and what offensive line, who else gets paid more? Honestly, edge rushers get paid more than offensive linemen right now. I mean, that is a money position to play. And so you have the Jalen hurts contract, that's going to be in play. And that's of course going to continue to get more expensive as the years go on. And so it's going to be a decision. The Eagles have to make at some point right now, 
Hassan Reddick is getting paid as the, I mean, it's a bargain. 12 guys are ahead of Hassan Reddick when it comes to average per year salary at the edge rushing spot. He's ranked 13th right now. Is he the 13th best pass rusher? No, he's top three, top five at the latest. He's making $15 million a year right now. Josh Sweat, he's 19th, or he's 20th actually in the league. There are 19 players in front of Josh Sweat at the edge. Would you say there's 19 edge rushers better than Josh Sweat in the NFL? No way. The Eagles are getting a bargain at $13 million a year for Sweat and for Riddick only 15. $28 million combined. That's almost, I mean, TJ Watt's making nearly 20. So to me, both of those guys, I don't think they're underappreciated by the Eagles or the fans at all. We all know how good they are. But nationally, they're underrated and their contracts kind of line up with that. And if they blow up again this year, they're going to want their respect. Not just from like a media and a reputation perspective, but from the money. And so that's going to be a decision because I think the the hands down decisions the Eagles are going to make, I think when it comes to like the next big contracts, Devontae Smith. We know Devontae's going to get paid. Landon Dickerson, if he has another elite year this year at left guard and he stays healthy, we know he's going to get another contract. Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat. It's interesting because they have Nolan Smith. What if he does blow up? What if he becomes the guy that we saw at Georgia that does play a part in this? Would the Eagles have to choose with Jalen Hurts' contract getting more expensive? Would they have to choose between Sweat and Reddick? I'm not so sure. I would hope that they could keep both. Hertz's contract is so backloaded. Maybe eventually prepare to go younger in the secondary with Darius Slay and James Bradbury aging. Maybe start to invest some top draft picks, maybe ever, at the cornerback position. And the good news is, too, the interior of the defensive line is inexpensive with Jordan Davis on a rookie contract, Milton Williams on a rookie contract, Jalen Carter on a rookie contract, Contavious Street is inexpensive, Moro Ojomo as well. And Fletcher Cox only on a one-year deal. So hopefully they could keep both. Like the Eagles, even with Nolan Smith there in the Jalen Hurts contract and all these big money deals they're shelling out and are going to have to continue to with like Devontae and Dickerson, I think one position they're not going to go cheap at is edge. Like I don't think they're going to say we have to choose between Sweat and Reddick. They're going to do everything they can to keep both. Maybe it does come down to the numbers and they really both guys just they both price themselves out where you just can't afford to keep both because you're not getting both those guys back in 2024 at that average per year of 15 and 13. But I think at the same time, Howie Roseman loves to be three plus deep at edge. I mean, he wants to be the deepest team in the NFL when it comes to the line play on both sides of the football. So I do think he's going to try everything in his power to keep both guys. And I really hope that's the case, but I think they're going to be incredible again this year and both do deserve a lot of money. This is why Howie Roseman does the things he does with contracts. Like he wants to get ahead of it early. That's why he paid Josh Sweat in 2021 right before the season started because he projected Sweat was going to blow up. And guess what? Over the last two years, that's exactly what he did. Hassan Reddick, Howie loves to get a guy that for some reason the market doesn't value him as much as perhaps his production shows. And Hassan Reddick last year, he got on an absolute bargain. $15 million a year for a near 20-sack player that steps up late in the fourth quarter like that of the biggest games. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be definitely a tough decision for them to follow. And uh, that's going to be the big one next. Because again, Devontae, I think no question he's getting paid. Dickerson, no question he's getting paid. Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat, they're not losing both. One of them's going to get a bag, but will both? That's going to be something interesting that I definitely thought about the other day. And man, I hope they can keep them because 
they're going to, I think, continue to be really good this year, and they're going to deserve some some big contracts. All right, let's get to Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. I want to go behind enemy lines and take a look at some teams that maybe tried, and let's see if they did close the gap on the birds in the NFC. That's coming up next right here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. And guys, today's show is sponsored by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose, and I've been losing a lot lately on those Philadelphia Phillies. It's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to the first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. It's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. Back here on the Locked On Eagles podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Your first listen each and every day. Really excited about my next guest. He's the host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. As we go behind enemy lines, it's Corbin Smith. Corbin, thanks for joining the show today, man. Thanks for having me, Louie. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And so, Corbin, I'm doing this because I want to kind of take a look across the NFC landscape right now and look at the teams that potentially close the gaps on the Eagles this year, right? I think last year it was pretty clear they were the top team. And, you know, the other team that maybe had a really good chance of pushing them for the Super Bowl was the San Francisco 49ers. And in the conference championship, we, you know, of course, the Eagles won in dominant fashion, but the Niners weren't really healthy. And so I think they're, again, the team most would agree is that next contender. But I feel like Seattle is, and I don't know if you would agree with this, they're the maybe, I mean, for me, maybe the third or fourth team in the conference that I think almost like we're talking about Detroit the way we should be talking about Seattle is a team that's going to be not just a playoff contender like last year, but maybe they're a team that can push Philly and San Fran. Yeah, right now I've got them fourth in my NFC power rankings. I have the yeah. Cowboys in at number Cowboys three. Third. Okay. I was about to ask who was three. Yeah. I could see Seattle by the end of the season potentially being the more dangerous team of those two. If I agree everything falls in the line. There are still a few things on defense that have to be sorted out. One is Jamal Adams going to be back healthy and be Jamal Adams. He's coming off a pretty significant knee injury. So that is a big question mark for this defense. Are they going to have him back as a weapon that I still believe that he's capable of being if they use him right. And then the defensive line last year was a huge issue Going into the season, it was actually supposed to be strength, but they were so inconsistent, especially against the run. They ranked 30th in the league defending the run. So they basically completely retooled that defensive line. And Draymond Jones, they spent big bucks to bring him in. I think that's yeah. an exciting move. They got a couple of rookies that I think have some upside that could contribute right away. But there are still question marks galore on that front line. So those are really the two big questions on that side of the ball. Where I don't think there's any questions, though, is on offense. I feel right. like this offense should be a top three, top five caliber offense with the players they've got coming back and who they've added to the mix. Yeah, Corbin, that's what I was going to say. Is And I think there's a lot of exciting young talent on Seattle's defense as well, you know, especially in the secondary. That's where I'm a little jealous of, you know, the Seahawks is the Tariq Wollin, Devin Witherspoon combo at corner, Kobe Bryant at safety, as you mentioned, Jamal Adams potentially coming back. But it's on offense where is why I think the Seahawks could really push the Eagles and 49ers this year because I look at the other teams across the conference and I'm like, okay, 
if Jalen Hurts is on his A game with all those weapons, or if the 49ers are on their A game with all those weapons, who can really keep up? I think Seattle would probably be that next choice with Geno Smith coming off a career year and the big three he has now, right? He already had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but now you add JSN from Ohio State in the first round. I mean, they've got a lot of firepower to keep up. They do, and that's not even including the fact that they've got two running backs that I believe could be top five, top ten caliber backs. That's why they let the Eagles get Rashad Penny, probably. I I think Rashad they wanted to bring back, but I think Rashad had reached a point where he felt like all the injuries he's had, I just want to first start somewhere else. And it was nothing against the Seahawks, but Seattle was probably going to pay something similar to what the Eagles did. But Zach Charbonnet with Ken Walker III, they're really excited about that duo. I think what the big difference maker for this team is going to be, though, on offense, they've got all these skill guys coming back. I think the offensive line is going to take a big step forward. Charles Cross and Abe Lucas are going to be much better in year two, and they were pretty solid as rookies at the two tackle spots. And then Austin Blythe retires, and quite frankly, he was really struggling the entire second half of last season. I think whoever wins that starting center job, whether it's Olu Oluwatimi coming out of Michigan, who I think is going to win that job, him or Evan Brown, who's a pretty solid center as well, Whoever gets that job is going to be an upgrade over what they had last year. And I think they could potentially have an upgrade at right guard, too, because Gabe Jackson was a shell of himself last year. So either Phil Haynes or another rookie, Anthony Bradford, steps in there. I think their interior O-line gets much better just by changing up their personnel there. And that is going to just make this offense that much better. And Corbin... I think both teams, the Eagles and the Seahawks, have done a tremendous job of building a support system around a quarterback that last year heading in, neither team probably would have predicted they were going to be the franchise guy and both get contract extensions this offseason. Of course, Hurts a little more sizable than Geno's, but I think most are assuming Hurts will continue on the path that he started last year as the MVP runner-up. Do people believe in Seattle that Geno Smith is going to be the 2022 guy again? Because... I don't think anybody really saw that coming, or at least from a national perspective. I know personally I didn't. Um, are people confident with the support system he has that Gino's going to run it back and be the guy he was last year, which was pretty historically efficient when you look at it, especially the deep ball? I feel like the fan base right now is like 70-30 with 70% mm-hmm. thinking Gino can do it again, especially with the weapons they put around him. I don't yeah. know that a returning quarterback that is playing for the same team has had more added to the arsenal around him than what Geno Smith has had when you look at O-line, receiver, running back. I mean, the Seahawks already had a really good offense, and they add all the pieces that I mentioned. And I think when you look at what Geno did last year, a lot of the things that he excelled at are going to carry over long-term. He was really good throwing from the pocket. He was extremely accurate. Accuracy is the last thing that goes for quarterbacks. So, And the fact is he hasn't played very much for being a 32-year-old quarterback. All those years as a backup, he's a very young 32. So I think there are a lot of reasons pointing, adding the fact this is the first time in his NFL career he's been a starter two years in a row with the same offensive coordinator. He has a chance to soar this year. I could see him taking last year's numbers and obliterating some of them. I could see more passing yardage. I could see more touchdowns. He was in the top five in the NFL touchdown passes last year. The one thing he's really going to have to improve upon, he's got to be better on third down. That was the one issue. But I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be a big reason that that goes up this year because that is the missing component, attacking the middle of the field, move the chains kind of guy. 
And Corbin, I think on defense, the Seahawks have done a good job. Of course, you mentioned the need for improvement up front. I mean, that's the one thing Philadelphia definitely has an abundance of riches for. But in the secondary, even though the Eagles have Darius Slay and James Bradbury, I'm a little jealous of the young talent Seattle has. I think long term, they are built to compete with all these, you know, weaponries in the NFC on offense with, you know, of course, last year they have Tariq Woolen, who was a fifth round pick that suddenly was a rookie of the year finalist. And then this year they get dead. They trade up for Devin Witherspoon, the cornerback from Illinois. And you look at Kobe Bryant, another day three pick that was really good last year as a rookie out of Cincinnati. I mean, I think their secondary is one thing that against the 49ers and the Eagles, you know, they do have some personnel to, to run with a, a deep closet of weapons for both of those top contenders. And even if Jamal Adams isn't his old self or he battles yeah. more injuries, they signed Julian Love, who you are familiar with from his time with the Giants, is a yeah. very good player, can play multiple positions in the secondary, can play in the box, extremely intelligent guy, has been a play caller on the field with a green dot. Plus, am I forgetting Quandre Diggs, right? I mean... Yeah, they still got Quandre, and Quandre last Quandre. year was coming back from a fractured fibula, and he started kind of slow, but he had four interceptions the last seven games, and he yeah. was as good as any safety in football at the end of the year. So I do think that that is the one position group, that secondary. I mean, Mike Jackson was a good starter last year, and he's not going to start for this team because Devin Witherspoon's now in town. So they've got an abundance of riches in the secondary. I think Bobby Wagner coming back, even if he's not the player he once was, he still was a second-team All-Pro last year and a very worthy second-team All-Pro for a bad Rams team. He had a great season. Jordan Brooks looks like he's going to be back quicker than expected. And Devin Bush is kind of the wild card there. But I feel like linebacker, they're fine. The secondary has a chance to be potentially the best in the NFL. If Jamal Adams comes back roaring, playing his game, and they put him in the right spots, that is going to be a dynamic group. That that could be the group on defense that carries them if they're going to make a deep playoff run. Yeah, and Corbin, you're more inside, of course, with Seattle, so you, you would definitely be able to attest to this. It's, it's tough when you're looking from afar about like culture, right? But I think another reason both of these teams were so successful last year, maybe even overachieving, is because it just feels like both are very close locker rooms, and it feels like ever since they got rid of their past franchise quarterback, and I don't know, you know, some will blame them for that, Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz, but it feels like the minute those quarterbacks left, things just got tighter for both sides, and again, that's me saying that from, you know, New York, looking at Seattle, but is that true, that it just feels like a closer team and a very well-coached one, culture-wise, through Pete Carroll? You know, you had so many people that were going against Pete Carroll before Russell Wilson got traded. Then after the trade, most people Mm -hmm. were on team Russell Wilson. And now you fast forward a year later, and we'll see what happens. I think Russ is going to bounce back some with Denver. I don't know if he's going to be the same QB he used to be, but I expect that he's going to be more productive this year. But still, I think now that you can see just how good of a football coach that Pete Carroll really is and maybe how much Russell Wilson's success – was somewhat dependent on having a coach that knew how to maximize his strengths and mitigate his clear flaws in his game and maybe the size aspect as well. And so I do think that Pete, that star is shining really bright again after how last year went. And uh, if he gets his team back in Super Bowl contention with Geno Smith as a quarterback and a bunch of young bucks again, like he did in 2012, 2013, uh, then I think he's already a Hall of Famer, but he would solidify his standing yep. in Canton if he's able to get this team back into Super Bowl contention with after trading the franchise QB, a guy that I believe is a Hall of Fame caliber player, Russell Wilson. But it all goes back to that culture that goes from the front office down. And 
They have maintained that. They didn't bat an eye when they traded Russell Wilson. We are not going to let a player be above the culture, even our franchise quarterback. And you're seeing that play out with the wins. And they feel like the best is yet to come with this young roster. I think both these teams represent the NFL, just the roller coaster of a ride and the unpredictable league that it is. I mean, who would have thought that Geno Smith and Jalen Hurts would be potentially leading two of the best teams in the NFC, but that's the NFL for you. Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks joining us today in the Locked On Eagles podcast. Appreciate it, Corbin. Uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, that was Corbin Smith of the Locked On Seahawks podcast joining us on today's show. Really interesting stuff. I really do think that Seattle's a team, again, Comparatively speaking, if you compare them to teams in the AFC or the Eagles and the 49ers, still a long way to go when it comes to their offensive line, their defensive line. As good as Geno Smith is or was last year in the support system he has this year, I still think he's a quarterback you win with rather than because of. And, you know, if you get Jalen Hurts on his A game or if they ran into a team, let's say the Seahawks did make the Super Bowl or, you know, during their schedule, uh, Patrick Mahomes, elite quarterback type, can Geno Smith always go toe to toe with that guy? Like, are we expecting him to be as efficient as he was last year? I'm not sure, but compared to the other teams in the NFC, if you told me a team was going to push the Eagles for the NFC crown this year that wasn't the 49ers, I know the Cowboys are the other like popular answer, but I'll believe it when I see it. They're the Sixers of the NFL when it comes to getting out of the second round. They just can't do it. Sorry for the shade comparing a Philly team to Dallas. I know that was sacrilege, but it kind of does work just a little bit. I just don't believe like the Sixers, they'll ever the Cowboys will ever make the final four. So if it's another team, it's like I know everybody likes Detroit. I like Seattle better than Detroit. So just want to get an inside perspective on what they're building over there with the Seahawks. It's interesting. You know, both of these teams, they did not expect their quarterback right now to be the one that could be taking them to a championship contending season. Both of them eventually, or at some point, had Russell Wilson as their long-term plan still a calendar year ago. I'm sure it's Seattle at some point was asking the question, like, can we still make this work with Russ? Or at least within the last year and a half. And then with the, C- with the Eagles, we know that they had a lot of other options on the table that wasn't Jalen Hurts a quarterback. But thank God for both teams, probably, that the path they went down was the one they went down, even if it wasn't the one they intended to follow originally. I was actually reading, it was a really interesting story from The Athletic about the Eagles and how they became interested in Jalen Hurts. And of course, there's a lot of the reasons we already know, right? The infatuation with Russell Wilson in 2012, the one that got away, how they didn't want to make that mistake again. Of course, the need for a backup quarterback, Howie Roseman saw throughout Eagles history, including the Super Bowl season, how badly they needed a backup, how important that was. Carson Wentz's unavailability in these playoff games, you know, that was, of course, a part of it. Um, Jalen Hurts' mentality. I mean, there's just everything that went into it, just their value of the quarterback position and how Roseman always tries to do things in a different way than the rest of the league. But one part of the story that I read that was really interesting and started to make me think more was about Hurts' mobility. And the Eagles, of course, have a very storied past when it comes to mobile quarterbacks. They have the best mobile quarterback history in the NFL with Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts. But one part of that story of why they really liked Hurts is they saw across the league what the trend was becoming that that was becoming a necessity. You had to have a quarterback with that kind of dynamic rushing ability. And although they had it in Carson Wentz, I think they knew 
And I saw this too, as much as Carson could still escape in 2018, 2019, and 2020, more than a, a Kirk Cousins type, right? He definitely still had that maneuverability. You also saw that he wasn't the runner that he was in 2017 and 2016. And at North Dakota State, after those leg injuries, he wasn't able to pull off the spin move he did on LeBlanc against Chicago and you know, all these incredible ankle-breaking, you know, ducks uh, under the, you know, New York Giants defenders in 2016, 2017. I think that was definitely a part of it was they didn't just want to have a guy that could escape. They wanted to have a, and this is the Eagles. This is why I love this team. They want to not just have a mobile quarterback. They want to have a fully capable mobile quarterback that's one of the best in the league when it comes to escaping, when it comes to improv and expanding plays outside of structure. And that's a part, of course, it seems obvious, like the value of Jalen Hurts as a runner. We've seen it over the last two years, even two years ago when he really couldn't pass that well. His running ability allowed you to win seven of nine and make the postseason. But I think like getting back to, because people don't think like they got back to a mobile quarterback going from Wentz to Hurts. But Wentz definitely was not the same athlete. And I think he thought he was, and it's part of why he really struggled to adjust. So that story was interesting, and I think that's one thing the Eagles are going to have to find the balance of this year because they value that so much, and they know in the league this is what you need now. But you also need your quarterback to stay healthy, right? So you don't have to keep taking a quarterback in the second round. you got to keep this guy upright. And so, again, it's just a balancing act that they have to strike. But I thought it was interesting in that story. They kind of talked about – you know, thinking about Russell Wilson and who Jalen Hurts could be. They compared him to Dak Prescott and Cam Newton as a potential projection. They kind of looked back at the days of when they had Michael Vick, right? Because, of course, Carson Wentz was mobile. But the last time the Eagles truly saw what an elite mobile quarterback could do where he's the best athlete on the field, that was Michael Vick back in 2010. I think that part of them really wanted to get back to that because it makes you so much more dynamic. It makes you so much harder to defend when you have a guy like that that's basically a, a, an elite receiving athlete when it comes to like open field ability at quarterback. And Jalen Hurts, he isn't Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick, but he can make a guy miss on a dime. Look at that Saints game in 2021. And he has unique power for a runner, and that's why they compared him to Cam Newton. You combine that together, and that's a top-tier mobile quarterback that now is leading this team to the top of the conference. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today's edition of the Lockdown Eagles podcast. Thanks for much, so much for making us your first listen each and every day, Monday through Friday, because we're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. We'll be back tomorrow for another edition of the show. Until then, thank you for downloading, thank you for watching and listening, and let's go, Birds.